Sprocketeers, viewers, listeners, we're back with another interview. And I'm super excited because we're going to talk about content and editorial calendars and all sorts of crazy stuff. Ashley Foss, can you just first, before we dive into the deep end of the pool, can you explain to people who you are, what you do, and where you do it? Sure. So I'm Ashley, uh, as George mentioned, and I am a marketer, writer, and speaker by day, and a singer, actor, and fitness fiend. So I currently work at Atlassian, uh, which is on a mission to unleash the potential in every team. So we're a collaboration software maker. You may have used our products like Trello, Jira, and Bitbucket, um, Confluence as well. So I do a range of different marketing things, um, and I'm currently based in the Bay Area in California. Here's the thing. The viewers, listeners, some of them actually know that really what I did after inbound, there's just so many sessions. There's, it's, it's impossible right. to get to everything that you want to get to. And so you did a session at inbound yep. and it was about the editorial calendar. It was a, about content marketing. Actually, it was called Beyond the Editorial Calendar, New Rules of Content Strategy. Now, yep. I have to tell you, there's, there's a couple of things in there that I was like, ooh, <laughs> I have to get Ashley on an interview. The main one is strategy. Yeah. Um, I do a podcast called the 15-Minute Strategy Podcast where oh, nice. we try to surface strategy because one of the things I've heard in the HubSpot inbound space, uh, agency space is, man, strategy is difficult and we want to yeah. make it easy. So when I saw the word strategy, I was like, oh, okay. I was, I was a little intrigued. I saw content. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay, content's important, which I love to create content. And then I saw editorial calendar and I was like, well, crap. Right. Now, in a, good, in a good way, by the way, because I was like, I have to get Ashley on because this is my Achilles heel is when I saw editorial calendar, I saw in my mind's eye organization. Yep. Right. Um, and so I want you to maybe give us a foundational piece of what folks should be paying attention to, why strategy is important, why content, but most of all, why organization might be the thing that makes it super successful or not successful as they move forward. So it's funny that you kind of honed in on the editorial calendar as an organization piece, because I actually kind of argue that we've got it backwards. So the way that a lot of people are doing strategy today is they're saying, okay, I'm going to look at the linear funnel. And you know, at its core, it's awareness, consideration, and purchase. That's three phases. I'm gonna do three pieces of content and awareness, two pieces in consideration, one piece in decision, six pieces of content, whip out my calendar, one piece of content per month. I now have a six-month content strategy, right? And most people, when you hear it boiled down like that, it's like, that's not a strategy. That's just like a calendar. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and then you know, we've, we've kind of evolved and said, well, we know that's not how people behave. So now we're going to do this in a looping decision journey, and we're going to throw in kind of a fourth, you know, retention, post-sell, upsell, cross-sell phase, throw in two more pieces of content, call it eight pieces of content over eight months, see, eight-month strategy. And it's like, you, you've still just done the same thing. You haven't, you haven't said anything, right? Um, so I actually decided, I was, I was kind of working through this, and I was like, you know, we actually really need a whole new model. And it doesn't start with the editorial calendar. The calendar should not be driving what we're doing. And I think of it as treating the content, um, treating the buyer's journey more like a content playground. So what's, what's the best way to enter or exit the playground, right? There's all these paved walkways, but you can guarantee my three-year-old nephew is going to run across the field, right? What's the best piece of playground equipment? 
And, you know, obviously I ran this as a little bit of a, you know, impromptu survey at Inbound and people were yelling out the swings and the monkey bars and the seesaws and the slide. There is no best piece of playground equipment. What's the right order to play on the playground? Should you go slide, then swings, then monkey bars? Should you not do the monkey bars at all? And then I also think about what about the people who are sitting on the park bench, just enjoying the day, enjoying the energy of being at the playground? Are they using the playground in the wrong way? And so when you start to think of your audience as these people that want to roam in whatever the order they want, they want to use content in the wrong way, right? Again, my three-year-old nephew every time wants to go up the slide. So I, I started thinking about this as, as a marketer. I have to create content away, in a way that allows my audience to enter and exit, to go in any order, and to use that content how they see fit. So for example, what does it mean to use the content in the wrong way? When the traditional funnel model um, pricing, for example, I've, I recently was going to look to buy a new tool and I needed to go ask for budget. And so I started emailing around and I said, hey, can you just give me a rough estimate of you know, pricing so I can ask for the budget for licenses at this service tier? And a couple people wrote back, oh, no, no, we need you to read this white paper. We need you to do this demo. And I'm like, I, why are you putting me all the way back up in the awareness phase when I don't even have budget? I need you to drop me all the way down and give me budget before I can even consider what is the problem and do you have a solution for me, right? So when you start to think about what that looks like, you start to realize that actually all content can be top of funnel. And a lot of that top of funnel content can end up in what was traditionally the decision phase. So Ashley, there's so much there I want to unpack. First yeah. of all, let's talk about uh, the playground. I don't know if you remember that it was like a duck and a frog and it was like the single spring thing and you would go back and forth. That was always my favorite. That, thing was, to play the on, thing. On the yeah. that was the thing. Like I would go running Man, you just tried as far back and as far, you know, forward you could go with that thing. I would I would ride that thing forever. Now, here's the thing. To hear you talk about this, I had what I'll say was uh, an OMG moment where yeah. like actually I had several in that section. So Sprocket Talk uh, viewers and listeners, Sprocketeers, you should rewind and probably re-listen to that. <laughs> One of the things that I was like, oh my gosh, we should really be just focused on creating the park and yeah. maintaining the park once we build it, right? Like, yeah. so you need to adjust uh, the the slides, you know, maybe they need cleaned or maybe there's like this a new uh, toy or that you can put on the playground, right? So so I'm, first of all, I was like, okay, so it's not about the individual piece of content, but it's about how do I build a really cool park for people to come and enjoy? Yeah. The other thing that you, you started to talk about was this idea of uh, top of the funnel first content yeah. And and this linear kind of no 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 you've got to start at the starting line yeah and 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 here's where my mind goes is there are so many businesses out there they feel like the starting line is where they dictate it yep however yep. the mindset should be the starting line is where the consumer dictates it so you literally were ready to say hey I'm 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 like minutes or hours away from buying that they should have been like okay go yeah. right and and from that point known what conversations to have what was the best slider swing to get you on yeah uh, for you to get to the place where you are having fun and enjoying this journey so yeah. so with that though what i what i'm curious when we think about understanding that the starting line is based on the consumer and it all comes down to they're they're on the playground. Are they going to be the three-year-old nephew that follows the sidewalk or runs right through the grass? Yep. 
which by the way, people just run through the grass. I'm going to say it's, it's right. Life's too short. Enjoy the it, grass. It is. It, it is. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you focus on building uh, this amazing playground? How do you focus on building this content in a way that is less linear, uh, yep. more frogs and ducks and slides and swings uh, so, so that you understand the best way for you to navigate people around the playground when they get there? So um, first, I like to start with a narrative framework. So again, a lot of people think of this as like, oh, what's my story angle? And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, yes, you got to start with the audience, but first you need to think about the different content depths. So at the conceptual level, this is kind of the abstract idea. This is the big problem um, or solution or, or kind of trends that are influencing things. Um, they tend to be abstract ideas. They tend to be quite theoretical. They probably don't have metrics associated with them in terms of, you know, clicks or, or entrances or views, things like that. Um, and usually these are going to be your three to five core ideas. And then at the next level, you've got the strategic content. So what's different about this content um, compared to the way a lot of people are doing it, this content should actually enable your audience to do their own research. It should help them frame up the criteria for the solution. It should help them frame up the problem, what are the processes that they need to have in place? What's the foundation that they need to lay to be able to make those conceptual ideas reality? And then finally at the tactical level, this is your nitty gritty, this is your prescriptive content, this is your five ways to do X. And this is the one that has all of those short-term metrics associated with it in terms of downloads, clicks, you know, referral, comments. The problem is a lot of people spend so much time at the tactical level and only on their solution, right? You've got Sprocket Talk. So now your mentality is five ways to host a better podcast. Well, what if I don't need a podcast? What if I don't do podcasts, right? Like, what if I want to do a video or what if I want to do a blog? Well, if you just keep telling me five things, you know, five ways to make a great podcast, I don't, what am I supposed to do with that? Eventually, you know, instead of talking about here's why podcasts matter as part of your content or communication mix, here's some information about trends of, you know, people listening versus watching versus reading content, right? So that's how you make it available at different depths. So um, one of the ways I like to think about it, I also, as I mentioned, a fitness fiend is part of my little tagline. So I'm really into bodybuilding. And so if you were to ask someone, you know, what does it mean to be healthy and fit? Pretty much everyone agrees it's some combination of exercise and nutrition. But you're going to answer that question very differently if you're runner's world versus muscle and fitness versus yoga's, you know, yoga enthusiast, right? And so when you start to realize how you conceptually think about that, if your muscle and fitness is, oh, you need to have a lot of muscle, you need to be strong, and you need to eat a high protein diet. At the strategic level, you would say, okay, let's talk about different, you know, slow digesting versus fast digesting protein. And let's talk about, you know, compound movements to really get everything firing in proper form. And then at the tactical level, you've got, you know, five recipes for chicken, three ways to build bigger biceps, right? You would never find any of that content in runner's world because they fundamentally answer the question differently. So there's a couple of things that I heard there from a content creation perspective. It's about... Um, enabling different layers right. of content. And, and it sounded like it got more like nitty gritty, tactical, action oriented as you go. It was like the big picture to yep. like, here's the five buttons in the lever that you like pull, right? Yep. Which I love because again, that helps and goes back to what I want to dig in deeper is this idea of businesses, sales folks, marketers, CEOs, whoever, 
um, understanding that the starting line is where the consumer wants it to be. And so yeah. when you, when you as a marketing department or a business has have built these layers, yeah. how do you enable your team to a diagnose which level those people are on and B then understand which piece of great content or going back to the playground, which great toy yep. we should get them involved in. Like how yep. do you, how do you answer both of those questions? Yeah. So I think in some cases there's the push or the pull, right? If you're using this mentality as part of a comprehensive content strategy, um, making sure that all of your pieces are cross-linked to each other, back-linked to each other, that you're putting the content, you're breaking it up and pairing it in strategic ways. Um, so for example, we've used LinkedIn Pulse very successfully to do this where we'll frame up the problem on LinkedIn and then we'll link over to maybe a blog post on our website that frames up the solution. So that's from a, you know, kind of a pulling standpoint where someone's come to us and they're looking through the content. Um, so, and you can do this where you're pairing two strategic pieces of content. You can pair strategic and tactical. You can give an option that's just a link to say, you know, why does this even matter? Give these three reasons as the first sentence, but then link to a piece of conceptual content so that somebody can think holistically about, you know, what are the trends or what are the big problems? Um, from a sales perspective, if you've got somebody that's coming in and basically saying, hey, I want pricing, just give them the freaking pricing, right? Answer their questions. If you've got people coming in asking the fundamentally wrong questions, having a piece of content, again, this, um, I've, I've had people come in and give me like, you know, an RFP to say, hey, as you're going through this process, use these tools. Um, I used this successfully uh, at a previous job where we would frame up, here's the five things you need to be thinking about when you look for solar panels. And we were basically selling, in this case, it was consumer, but helping those people even understand how to frame up the problem and how to evaluate solutions. Um, I worked for a cloud access security broker previously, and one of our whole, we had a whole content series on considerations for your security stack and what should a CASB provide to you. And hey, some of these, you know, security measures claim to provide these things, but they don't. And that's a huge gap in your security, and that's where a CASB fills it, right? So some of it depends on what questions the customers are asking and not trying to say, let me just sell you my solution. It's let me tell you how to frame up the problem and evaluate all solutions. And obviously when you are in charge of that conversation and shaping it, you know, in theory, you will come out as the winner, right? But in some cases you may also find that they're, they're fun. You're not actually that the solution that they even need. And if you sell them something that they don't need, now you've damaged your reputation. You're not going to get renewals. You've got churn, those kinds of things. So helping them understand what they need and how to evaluate solutions is actually very valuable in the relationship building um, that you can do. Yeah, there's a couple of things there. The, the importance of understanding, are we a right fit? Yep. Versus, uh, will your money fit in my wallet? Exactly. Uh, there's, a, there's a big difference there. And, and I love the thing too, where my mind started to go in, like you need to know the problem that they're facing way better than they do because sometimes what they think is the problem isn't even the problem it's like yeah. the it's it's the first layer of what is layer 17 that exactly. is the problem and and i like the word that you used uh, being able to frame up you know frame yeah. up their question or their problem um and truly help them understand the the breadth and depth at which it may be or take uh to to take care of what they're doing so this is 
it's almost like thinking at like the next level, like, like, like a grandmaster at chess, yeah. if you will. Right. Like, yeah. like uh, the, the sales team is 15 moves, uh, 15 questions ahead of, uh, why is my bro, uh, why is my mower broke or something yeah. if they were selling lawnmowers. Right. Yeah. So, so what else do we need to start to think about when it comes to this making sure we're a right fit, making sure we're creating this content playground, make sure we're having empathy uh, yeah. for the consumer and really focused on being a right fit? How do we take this strategy to what might be just the absolute next level in the digital world of 2020 and beyond? There's a couple interesting things. I'll, I'll focus in on social media for just a little bit because um, that's where a lot of this stuff is taking place. Now it's a place to not only distribute your content, but in a lot of cases to host your content. You know, LinkedIn wants you to post long form articles. Um, Facebook wants you to do video, right? Um, you know, Twitter basically wants everything. All of these, these platforms are greedy. They want you to stay on their platform. So to keep you there, they're giving you a lot more ways to host your content, not just distribute your content. And so as you start thinking about creating this playground and, and creating these ways to engage and empower your audience, you need to be thinking beyond just the CTR. Everybody's so concerned. How many people opened the email? How many people clicked the link? How many referrals did I get from social? Instead of thinking about how do I meet my audience where they are and talk to them where they want to be. Right. So I think that that's the biggest thing is instead of a lot of the time we think we've got to create all this net new content and it's got to be these unique pieces of content across every single channel instead of realizing, no, we can address this subject at the right place at the right time for the right people in the right way by taking the content and, and addressing it at the conceptual, strategic, and tactical level where it belongs. And so trying to address something conceptually on Twitter is really hard. You're gonna have a you know, 30 tweet tweet storm. No, maybe make that a long form you know, podcast or a long form blog post, but then some of the tactical levels, the five tips may actually be perfect for an Instagram story or an Instagram um, gallery. You can click through, you've got your quotes, your key takeaways, and then you can swipe up to go watch a demo or something like that, right? So I think the biggest thing is just thinking more holistically about what these channels are optimized to do and where the conversations are most optimized to happen. And again, that's the conversation, not the sale, because the sale is going to result from the relationship and the conversation, not the other way around. Yes, Twitter is not optimized for the sale. That's not how it works, but it is optimized to help people come together, spark an interest, have a conversation, um, and you know, share and exchange ideas, right? So it's interesting because, uh, first of all, I was getting like twitchy the more platforms you listed in the ways right. that we can actually engage with them. What, what we don't need is one more way to, exactly. to, to do a live or to do, you do know a about story. TikTok? I feel oh, like I'm an God. old person now because I saw TikTok and I was like, TikTok. And, yeah. and I mean, Snapchat just like, I just like completely passed right over Snapchat and felt old then, but now we're beyond Facebook yeah. and Snapchat. We're all the way to TikTok. And I'm just like, Oh, I can't do it's, it. It's crazy. I mean, there's so much out there. And uh, I do know about TikTok, but only because I have teenage children. And yep. so every, every new platform that arises, I'm like, hmm, I'm literally like Gary Vee in my own house. Like I yeah. watch what my kids are like using on their phone. But, <laughs> but here's the thing, like I started to think about in my mind, yes, 
I love the idea that the conversation starts on those channels, which then yeah. leads me into like, how can I tease or entice on those channels or conversate, be human on those channels? And here's where my mind started to go. And I think it's because of your playground analogy. I was sitting there listening to you list off all of these social channels. And my mind was like, you know, at the end of the day, if I want to go to the park, I have to get in my car. I have to drive there. And the park has to be good enough, like yeah. fun enough, like laid out in a way that I'm willing to spend the time to actually go there. Yeah. So, so it's funny because then I wanted to ask the question, well, like, does this become a thing of like your home base is important? And I know this sounds like a conversation from like seven years ago, but your home base, your website, the ability to make them drive yep. to the place instead of doing, you know, 27 stories and five Facebook lives and having six groups. Yep. Does it make sense to just have surface level conversations that tease and entice people to then go to Atlassian, Impulse right. Creative, Sprocket Talk, wherever it be? Like, what's your take on that when it comes to this whole new content strategy conversation we're having? What I found and, and you know, what we've been able to do is take kind of that, to your point, that hub, that long form content, and it's the one piece. Um, in some cases, we've made that a microsite. Like, for example, we have an agile microsite that dives really deeply into kind of the conceptual and strategic levels of agile methodology, you know, the practice of that. But then we've paired that with a very tactical approach on YouTube. Um, and it's all of these series of videos about how to use Kanban versus Scrum, et cetera. And those two things are linked together. We're less concerned if you spend three hours with us on YouTube or three hours with us on the microsite. We just want you to come hang out with us. But we've built, in this case, two kind of big content hubs that meet people where they are. And so um, I would agree with you. I think we, we've done quite a bit um, to really build out on our owned properties that, that long form content, it's deep, it's rich, it gives you a ton of places to go and it's sticky and it leads you to the next thing. But one, one other thing I see a lot is people sometimes give away the punchline on social, right? And so there's no reason to click through or there's no reason to even ask questions because it's like, well, you just gave me the punchline. You know, like for example, when I was an inbound, I thought about saying, um, you know, hashtag content playground. But that ruins kind of my whole shtick of saying, oh, this is the surprising next thing. If everybody's just going around saying content playground, well, now you have no reason to attend my session or to watch the talk because you already know the punchline versus saying, hey, we need a new model. The linear funnel is not really the way to do it anymore. The looping decision journey, like, is that really the best way? Well, what's the next thing? Let's talk about it. So you can still generate those conversations. I think, I think it really just depends on where your audience hangs out. Um, for example, I've been in a number of conversations over the last couple of years, particularly because I've been in tech, about what to do about Reddit. Because that community is where all the devs hang out. Like my husband gets all of his everything. He'll be like, did you see this? And I'm like, oh yes, I saw it on Twitter. And he's like, oh yes, I saw it on Reddit, right? So we, it, it's hard because that platform, um, the audience there is very meticulous about kicking out any sales or marketing from that platform. They don't like it. But at the same time, sometimes people really want to go deep about product specs or, or, you know, use cases or workflows. So how do we as product managers or product marketers engage with them without selling, but that's where the audience hangs out. They're not going to click over to our website because they think it's too salesy. 
So I think it really depends on where the audience is, what their tolerance is for um, crafted messages. Maybe let's let's go with that word. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard problem, and I think that a lot of experimentation and and just continued iteration to figure out where the best place is. Um, and looking at those engagement numbers really makes a huge difference. So much there. Sprocketeers, rewind, listen. I mean, my own mind was going through things like, wow, am I having too much of a conversation on social? Am I giving it away? There's no yeah. reason to like continue on. Yes and no. I can think of right. times I haven't. I can think of times I have. But if I push the level, like in my mind, I'm like, Wow. So what happens if I just post something that says your marketing sucks and then like a link to something, right? Be because I think so many times we, we listen, inbound HubSpot, uh, it's like value, yeah. value, give yeah. value, give value. And, and, and all of us are trying to give value, but are we giving value in the wrong places right. versus like teeing up the conversation to see if you're even interested yeah. in the conversation that I'm trying to have. And by the way, now, if you are, here's where the value lives. That is amazing. So Ashley, yeah. if people, if people are watching this and they're thinking to themselves, well, what's the, what's the Pareto's principle here? What's the 20% of the 80% that I need to focus down on? Is there like a, um, here's how to get started. One, two, three, go that you can share with the audience. I think the biggest thing is really looking at that narrative framework. Honestly, if you, because everybody always says create quality content, you know, engage, empower, educate, right? The delight. And, and again, I say that too, like at the end of my inbound talk, I'm like, you know, this is what the core is. You need to be delighting the audience and building that relationship. But at its core, if you're not focused on that conceptual, strategic, and tactical content, and giving them a lot of places to go and explore in ways that make sense to them, you're going to struggle. And, and if you think that the answer is, I'm just going to pound, pound, pound my product or service as the way to do this, you're going to struggle. And so I think the, the biggest thing is really honing in on those narratives and really thinking through, do I have content at a variety of depths? Am I, you know, and again, to your point about HubSpot, like, they have been helping me hone my craft for years. They've been telling me about trends. They've been giving me all of this deep information. And yes, a marketing automation platform has been in that mix for almost a decade now. But when you look at why it's in the mix, it's things like the ability to look at multi-touch attribution. It's the ability to do A-B testing and regression testing. All of those principles that matter, that are just easier to do if you have a marketing automation system, it doesn't change the fact that you could still do this with any tool or with a variety, you know, Google Analytics and Excel and, and those kinds of things. It just so happens that they've got a tool that does all that for you, right? So I think that's, that's the biggest thing is really just thinking about what, how, how should your audience be thinking about problems? Um, there's actually two great books. One is called The Medici Effect by Franz Johansson. And it's about intersectional thinking and just um, in some of the, the crazy ways that people from different backgrounds have come together, like an architect and a, um, oh gosh, I always get it confused, etymology versus entomology, whichever one is the insect one. I think it's etymology is the insect one. And to create this building um, in Africa that needed to maintain a certain temperature, but didn't have air conditioning. And it was like, oh, well, if we look at how, you know, ants create their, uh, their mounds, they regulate the temperature 
in all of these unique ways, right? So what does it look like if an architect and an etymologist come together? Um, so that's, that's the first book that I think helps kind of broaden our minds to, to poke and prod at the different ideas that we have and different solutions that we're offering. And then the other one is called Challenger Sale. Um, I read this book a couple years ago, and it's basically that, that mentality of offering an insight to your prospects. And again, of course, you've got a solution to help solve this insight, but the insight is valuable whether they buy your product or not. And so that's where they keep coming back to you. And ultimately, if they do end up having the budget or they do end up um, needing your solution, they come to you first because they know that you can teach them about their industry, about their audience and solve their problems, not just sell them something. So I'd say those are kind of the three things. First is think about the narratives, really think deeply about that and plot that out. Second um, would be to read these two books because I think they're great. Um, and then third, I would say, just don't get in the habit, and this is where it circles back around to the editorial calendar, don't get in the habit of doing calendar-driven content. Make sure that every time it's audience-driven content. Serve the audience first, because if you put out a piece of content that's just, oh, we have to publish once a week, or oh, we have to tweet twice a day, if that content is not serving the audience, it doesn't matter how often you share it, it's not gonna get traction. Mm. So Sprocketeers, you've got two great books. I've got to add those to my list for sure. Uh, the intersectional thinking one, I'm like, ooh, yeah. now that's right up my alley. Like, I, I know I'll enjoy that. It's funny because what I heard you say in the very last kind of seconds of, of that section was, if your conversation ever becomes mathematical, you're about to lose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because it, it, there is this thing of like, well, you know, talk about yourself 60% of the time and others 40% of the time and make sure it's two Facebook po posts and one LinkedIn and seven Twitter. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But you ain't, but you ain't got Jack to say. So just don't say nothing at all. Or you do, yeah. you know, say what, say what is needed to be said and make sure the audience that is around you wants to hear it. So yeah. here's the thing. I, I want to dive into the real world for a second. I'm super curious, Ashley, if there's like, one, maybe two uh, great examples of companies who are doing what we're talking about that we can go and look and see like, man, this is how they're building a playground. This is how they're focused on audience. This is how they're having great conversations. Like who, who would you say is really practicing what you're preaching? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, selfishly, I work for Atlassian and I do a lot of this stuff here. So, you know, self-servingly, of course, I'm going to say, oh, my team is great at its job and my company is great at letting the experts do what they do. But um, I, I would actually say we haven't always um, been great at this in a lot of cases because, um, you know, of the way that we've worked and kind of the audiences that we've talked to in the past, we have been, we previously were, all of our content was very, you know, five ways to do X with a product. And just over the last year or so, we've really taken a new approach, especially from a thought leadership standpoint, to say, what, is, what does it mean to be pr productive? What does it mean to um, collaborate effectively? What does it mean to be a happy, healthy, productive worker, right? We've started talking about burnout. We've started looking at the remote work trends. We've um, made a number of commitments around corporate social responsibility, particularly climate change. Um, and what does that look like? How does that intersect with the remote work trends? How does that intersect with productivity? Um, and so a lot of these topics are really intertwined and they have nothing to do with a specific product, they have everything to do with making humans better. And so how do we help enable the humans to work better themselves, be happier themselves, work better together as a team? And yes, ultimately, 
ultimately that's going to generate revenue for the company. Um, so obviously, like I say, full self-serving, go check out Work Life by Atlassian, go check out our Agile microsites. Um, on the flip side of that, there's a couple people that I've been super impressed with um, over the last couple of years. One is Katie Martell. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but um, she talks a lot about kind of calling BS on a lot of the marketing tactics that people use. Um, someone decided that it was a good idea to market to women, so now everything is like for women. Um, somebody decided that green marketing was a good idea, right? So now everything is greenwashed, and she calls, you know, calls people out of like, hey, this is just a nonsense marketing campaign. You're not saying anything. Um, and then also Jay Acunzo, I love his content. Um, he do, he runs the marketing showrunners podcast and the unthinkable podcast. Um, and he's doing a lot of really super interesting things in my opinion about this content, um, and, and how to think about content strategy and how to craft content. And then obviously Anne Hanley, um, from marketing props, everyone knows her and loves her, but just everything that woman does, it's so good. Why is she so amazing? Um, and the reality is the reason she's so amazing is because she's human. Um, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting her in person a few times and every time she looks you in the eye, she shakes your hand. Um, if she's met you before, somehow she magically remembers you and you get that sense from her email newsletter, from her on Twitter. Like she comes in, I'm, you know, relatively speaking, we have a high power distance. I don't have nearly the number of followers that she has, but anytime I tweet something or I, you know, say kind words about her, she always replies and always says, thank you. And it's just like that doesn't happen ever, you know? And so as brands, when we start to put a name and a face to the logo, that sort of connection really helps, um, helps drive people to want to read and invest the time to drive to the park um, to get this great content. Um, and then also um, MIT Sloan Review has been doing some really interesting things over the last um, year or so. Every time they pop up in any of my feeds, I'm like, oh my gosh, like on point all the time. Um, ton of stuff on, on productivity, collaboration, remote work, um, leadership. They've done some great content recently. So if you're looking for, you know, companies to individuals to more kind of academic, those are a couple of my recommendations. That's awesome. Those are some great examples. Jay is amazing. And she's just a superhuman. She's probably one of my favorite humans on the planet, to yeah, be honest with great. you. I've, I've got a chance to hang out with her a couple of different times and she is just so caring. Yeah. So empathetic to, uh, you know, the people and their time and what they need to know. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just amazing to watch. And so these great examples, people, if you haven't dug into any of those that were just listed, rewind, listen to it again, jot them down. You've got books, you've got people, you've got, you know, blogs and all sorts of things. I, I, I will tell you, as you were kind of going through that section, there was one part where you were talking about how do you get people to be better? You know, how do you make them better? And you were talking about remote working, which I yeah. do. And you were talking about productivity, which I have to be like productive yeah. and part of the productivity. And actually there's this thing that I've been dealing with for the last 30 days of, I had this epiphany of, uh, wow, I'm not very organized. Like I should figure out how to get organized. And it yeah. wasn't until I had the epiphany of realizing that I wasn't something that I then realized I wanted to be something. And so to yeah. so kind of pseudo answer your question is uh, give them a tool that enables them to understand their weak spot. Because one yeah. thing that a lot of humans are not good at is self-awareness. 
Yeah. And so if you can shine a light into the, the crack that is the deficiency, yeah. now all of a sudden you can say, oh, I, oh, I can fix that. Here's how I would fix that. Yeah. Uh, and those conversations become magical, right? They just, yeah. they, they become amazing. Actually, if people want to carry on this conversation, if they have questions about Atlassian, any of the tools that you guys do, content, um, other examples, where do you want to send them? Yeah. So um, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn pretty much daily, all the time from a personal and professional perspective. Um, I'm at Ashley Foss on both of those platforms. I tend to be the top results, I think. Uh, my, my last name is unique enough that I'm usually toward the top. Um, and you'll see the same tagline, same picture on all of them. Um, I think I look like myself currently in that picture. So, <laughs> you know, every so often you land on someone and it's like an avatar and you're like, I don't know if you're the person I met at the conference. Um, so in theory, I think I look like myself and I do have my uh, marketer, writer, speaker, uh, you know, singer, actor, fitness being tagline on there. So yeah, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, connect to me on LinkedIn. I'd, I'd love to keep chatting. If you want to talk, um, if you want to look at what Atlassian does, just Atlassian.com. Obviously, we've got products, we've got blogs, we've got all sorts of information on the site. Um, so that's, that's the best place. And I'm also happy to chat about what we do here and how we approach content um, on either Twitter or LinkedIn. I love those uh, tricky avatars. The other one, Ashley, that I always love is like, you look at it and you go, Mm, maybe 10 years ago, boo. Right. And then you realize they should probably update that junk. Anyway, Sprocketeers, this has been a great journey on the editorial calendar, which we talked very little about, about creating a content playground, understanding the starting line of your consumer and how you can really focus on them by being caring and empathetic. And hey, here's what I'm going to tell you. Remember, as you move forward with your marketing, your sales, your business, remember to be a happy, helpful, humble human. And we'll see you on the next episode.